following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. In 1892, uh, U.S. warships were on the hunt for then-famed pirate Gregory Dworkstoff. Dworkstoff was made a fortune for himself, not only as a, a seal hunter, but as a pirate, with other pirates stealing from wherever they could steal from. And so the U.S. warships were, were tracking him down, and as Dworkstoff was on the run, he reportedly hid 3,000 pounds of gold, which in modern-day terms is about $70 million. 3,000 pounds of gold in about 150 tin cans that he stashed away in and around Adak Island in Alaska. Fast forward a few years to 1959, and there were two tin cans found on Adak Island by servicemen who were on a military base there. They found these two cans with 10 to 15 gold coins in these cans. Well, this set off just a massive treasure hunt. And since 1959, Adak Island has been a destination for treasure hunters. People from around the world have come to this tiny island that has really nothing else there to search for this gold. And every single person who has come and searched for gold at Adak Island has found absolutely nothing. No trace of this vast treasure. Now, you and I may never make a trip to Adak Island in Alaska in search of gold, but we all live lives that are in search of treasure. We all want treasure in our lives of comfortable living conditions, the treasure of physical wellness, the treasures of joy-filled relationships, of healthy families, of successful careers, of any number of other treasures that we may seek after. And, and those can all be good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the question is, are they really the treasure that our souls long for and that we truly need to be searching for? As we look at this passage today, I want us to ask ourselves, do we look to gather and to enjoy the true treasure with the efforts and the work and the search of our lives? Today, our, our focus shifts. Last week, we, we talked about Isaac and Rebecca and their faith, and today our, our focus really shifts toward their sons, Jacob and Esau. And we're going to read a, a rather famous story, one you have probably heard before. But in this story, we're shown a lack of faith. In this story, we're shown how that lack of faith brings our attention to partial and unsatisfying treasures. And the failure that is displayed in this story teaches us not only how not to act, but it shows us how we can learn, how we can grow, how can we, we can mature in order to find full and satisfying treasure in our lives. So we're going to look at Genesis 25, verse 27 through 34. 
And the first truth we're going to find is that we find treasure by discernment. We find treasure by discernment. We start this passage, verses 27 and, and 28. It says, when the boys grew up, and remember last week we saw the birth of these twin sons. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, we find treasure by discernment. These first two verses of this story give us the foundational information that's going to set the table for the action that follows. We learn about the characters involved here. Esau, it says he was an outdoorsman. He was an expert hunter. Esau was a guy who roamed the countryside free and clear. He did his own thing. He went in search of meat. Esau is what, in our day, we would call a man's man, right? He went out, he hunted, he brought back the food. He's a man's man. Then it tells us about Jacob, and Jacob, on the other hand, it says he's a, he's a quiet man, and, and some of your translations may say he was even-tempered, and it means he was thoughtful. He was well-reasoned, but Jacob didn't go out roaming the countryside. He stayed home. He took care of things in the home. If Esau was a man's man, then Jacob is probably described as a mama's boy. And as a result, we see the way that the parents interact with their two children. We see that Isaac favors Esau while Rebekah favors Jacob. This is a major issue that arises now that will continue through the story of these two boys' lives. Right? There's, there's nothing here that says Esau is good and what he does is better than what Jacob does or what Jacob does is better than what Esau does. We're simply shown that these two boys are wildly different. The major issue that arises, though, is that their parents base their relationship with them not on what is best for the children, but what the parents like. Each parent has their favorite child because that child meets their expectation, their hope for the child. Isaac likes tasty game, so he favors Esau, who goes out and gets this tasty food, this meat. Rebecca favors a close relationship with her son, and so Jacob's home, so she favors Jacob. Isaac and Rebekah are blinded by what they value and not what God values. They lack the discernment to see what is best for each child because of their own desires. I was thinking about this and quickly, how, how does this work in, in my life? And try to put myself in this position, right? And like most of you have kids, I would say, I don't, I don't have a favorite child. I really don't, I promise. But I was thinking, like, how, how might this look in my life? And, and I was thinking, okay, I, for me, as I've shared many times, I, I ran cross-country and track all through high school and college and competed after college. I love cross-country and track. I, I, I love watching that, right? I, I don't really enjoy things like volleyball or wrestling or anything like that. Like, some of you do. That's great. That's just not me, 
right? So in my mind, what I really want my kids to do as they get up into middle school and high school is run cross country and track. That's what I want them to do because that's what I, I love going to see. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, but when does something become wrong with that? When I force them to do that because it's what I want, not what is best for them or not the way God created them or gave them a joy and a hope and a purpose in their lives. I have to be willing to let them be who they are and do what God has created them and called them to do. My job is to help them find their identity, help them find their gifts, not say, this is who I am and this is what I like. So come on. And this is the problem that Isaac and Rebecca have. It's all about what they want. What we learn from this is that true treasure is found when we identify that which God deems worthy of the search. For Isaac and Rebecca, it's not about what they like, what they see is worthwhile. It should be about the way God has created their children. True treasure is found when we identify that which God deems worthy of the search. Because as we all know, the world around us offers us many treasures, right? Look at what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've heard that verse before. We've heard those verses before and we go, yeah, we're supposed to store up treasures in heaven, right? Right. But what does Jesus say about the things of earth? Does he say, don't chase after the junk that isn't fun and, and you won't like anyway, but search for treasure in heaven? No, he says, don't store up what? What's he call the things of earth? He calls them treasures. There are treasures on earth. But remember, he goes on to say, those treasures are fleeting and frail and in the end are worthless. They'll be fun. They'll be momentarily satisfying, but they won't endure. See, God says, let me define what treasures are for you. Not the things that you want, which look like treasures, which may actually be these momentary treasures. He says, let me define the treasure that's worth seeking. It's not the treasures of the world. See, when we go to God for his definition of treasures, when we go to God for his definition of anything, we find something that is so much better than what we find in this life, don't we? Let's talk about some definitions of this world versus the definitions that God gives us, right? Let's talk about the definition of truth. What does our world say truth is? The world says truth is some malleable suggestion of what might be better for you, right? Right? It can change. It can be whatever you want it to be. As long as it's true for you, it's true. That's not the definition God gives of truth. God says truth is the expression of reality as he created it. It doesn't change. It doesn't shift. Truth is true. Or it's not true. Let's talk about the idea of love. And we go to our world and we say, oh, there's this, we, like we, we all want to be loved, right? There's a treasure of love. If we go to the world and let it define it, love is the fulfillment of lustful desires. 
Love is the fulfillment of whatever you want, whatever you physically, uh, physically want to chase after. That's love. God says, no, no, no. God says, love is seeking the best for another. Right? There's a difference when we look at worldly definitions and we look at the definitions of the God of all creation. And if we want to know what true treasures are and what treasures are worth our seeking in our lives, we must be able to discern what is a godly definition and what is a worldly definition. A proper definition, right? One that is expressed and instituted by the sovereign God of creation dramatically changes the issue at hand and will always lead us to a greater joy, greater hope, and greater peace in our lives. So how do we make that discernment? You can probably guess what I'm gonna say, which is we go to God's word, right? That's where we find proper definitions, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Again, another verse we've heard many times. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, God's word equips us by giving us everything we need. That includes the definitions we need to know of what is love, what is truth, what is righteousness, what is... Pick your issue. See, anything we think is good, any treasure we think is worthy of our chase but that runs contrary to God's word is not a treasure worth our seeking. Anything that takes us from Christ moves us even a smidge off of where our God has called us is not a treasure worth seeking. It may seem like a treasure in our minds because it's what we really want. It might look shiny and new right now, but it will rust, it will fade, the moth will destroy. What is our standard for defining a treasure that is worth seeking? Have you given that thought? Have you ever sat down and gone, okay, these are the things I wanna do. Have we sat down and run them through the grid of how does this align with God's word, with God's, word, with God's truth, with God's calling? What is our standard for defining a treasure we're seeking? We must learn to discern what is worthy of the pursuit. But then we have to understand that not only do we find treasure by discernment, but we find treasure through patience. We find treasure through patience. This passage goes on. Verse 29 through 33 says, Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why he was also named Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. We find treasure through patience. See, here we dive into this, this main action of this story. Esau has been out hunting. Remember, he's a, he's a hunter. He's a man of the fields. 
He's out, he's hunting, but this time as he's out hunting, he comes back empty. He doesn't get anything. We don't know how long he's been out, hours, days, weeks, we, we have no idea. But he's been out hunting and he comes up empty and now he comes home and he is famished. Jacob, who is even-tempered, right? He's well-reasoned, he's thoughtful. Jacob sees what's going on. Jacob sees all the angles. He knows what's about to happen. He's prepared for this conversation. And so he uses the situation to his advantage. In Esau's impetuousness, and I say impetuousness because if Esau had the strength to come back from the hunt and come to the table where Jacob's fixing food, I don't think he's really about to die, right? He had enough strength to get there. He's not on death's death's doorstep. He's just really hungry. He's a bit melodramatic. Oh, I'm about to die. I'm so hungry. Give me some of that red stuff. Right in the Hebrew, we don't even get what the red stuff is. It's red stuff. And in fact, in the Hebrew language, what he actually says is, give me some of that red stuff, red stuff. Which, is, which in the Hebrew language is a way of emphasis. Like he really wants this red stuff, whatever the red stuff is. He says, give it to me. And Jacob says, okay, first sell me your birthright. He goes, fine, I'm about to die again. Bit melodramatic. I'm about to die. Just give me the food. I'll give you the birthright. Great. Okay, but what, what, is, what has actually happened here? What's the birthright? What is it that we're talking about with this birthright that, that, that Jacob has used this situation to buy from his brother? Well, the birthright is, is literally the rights of the firstborn. Uh, often in this day, it included a, a double share of the family inheritance. And it included an eventual role as head of the household. So not only does the birthright give you twice what your brother's getting, but you will actually run the family when dad dies. This is of significant value. This birthright is of amazing value and Esau foolishly gives it up for a little bit of red stuff. See, treasure, true treasure is found only when we value God's eternal will over our momentary desires. This is where Esau fails, his momentary desire, that, that grumble in his tummy was of more value to him at that moment than this blessing and gift of the birthright. I think I've shared this with you before, but there's this well-known psychological study that was started in the 1960s at at Stanford University. It's called the the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. And and what they did was they brought in all these four and five-year-olds and they sat them at a table and the experimenter would come in and put a marshmallow in front of these kids. And then he would say, "I, I have to go, I'll be right back. If you will wait and not eat this marshmallow while I'm gone, when I get back, I'll give you another marshmallow. So if you can wait, you'll get two. But if you eat the marshmallow before I get back, you only get the one. And the experimenter would leave the room. 
for 15 minutes. And they'd come back. Some of the kids chose to eat the marshmallow right away. They didn't want to wait. Some kids waited and got the two marshmallows. It's an interesting study of of how kids can wait and and all that stuff. But what's really interesting is that they followed these four- and five-year-olds over the next number of years. And what they found is that those four- and five-year-olds who waited and got the two marshmallows had higher SAT scores, lower instances of substance abuse, lower levels of obesity, ended up better equipped to deal with stress, had better social skills, were more successful on pretty much every measure throughout the rest of their lives. Because they could wait. They could put off the momentary desire for something that was better. When it comes to our spiritual lives, to find true treasure will mean very often that we have to be patient. We must wait on God's gifts and God's timing instead of trying to satisfy the immediate gratification of the false treasures that we see right in front of us. We must learn to be patient. Okay, show of hands, who's really patient? No, don't, don't do it. I won't make you. We all hate to wait, don't we? None of us like to wait. If there's something, we want something that's in front of us, we, 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 we want it. But we all know that there's value in patience. Okay, so there are some of you who don't need to hear what I'm going to say next because you're great, patient people and you're incredible with patience. Good for you. God bless you. Hang on a second. We'll come back. Okay, for the rest of you who are like me, who are not the most patient people in the world, How do we grow and mature in patience? Let me give us three three helps for how we can grow and mature in patience. First, start with prayer. Surprise, surprise, we said start with prayer. Right, start with prayer. And when I say start with prayer, here's here's what I mean. I don't mean pray that God would give you more patience. Don't pray that God would give you more patience. I mean, you should pray that, don't, don't. But in in these terms, that's not the prayer we're talking about. What we should be praying for is that God would give us more faith. That God would help us to live in a deeper trust of him. Because when we're impatient for the things of God, it's not because he's taking too long. It's because we're we're worried he's not going to deliver in time. It's a matter of faith. Patience is a matter of faith. So we start with prayer. We pray that that God would help us to trust him in greater and deeper ways. Number two, and I think this is really important. Learn to accept discomfort. Learn to accept discomfort. Somewhere along the lines of human nature, we came to this place where we started thinking discomfort is the outlier. And somewhere in our faith, we came to this place where we started saying, well, discomfort is the outlier, right? If I'm faithful, if I trust Jesus, then I'm gonna be comfortable. Everything's gonna go right. Everything's gonna be just smooth and good. The problem with that is scripture. 
which shows us over and over again how people who are faithful, who trust the Lord, who serve him, who give their lives to him are uncomfortable and go through pain and go through struggle and go through trials. Comfort is not the norm. But if you're in a season of your life right now where you are comfortable, maybe this is time to praise God that he's given you this time, this rest, this peace. But just know that comfort is not the norm. It's a normal part of, discomfort is the normal part of our lives. It's a normal part of our faith. It's where we grow. It's where we learn. It's where we deepen our trust in our God. We must learn to accept the discomfort. Again, Jesus in Luke 6, verse 20 and 23, this is where Luke, uh, show, Luke gives us the, the Beatitudes. And Jesus, it says, Then looking up at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are hungry now, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, slander your name as evil because of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Everything Jesus said, right? Blessed are you when what? What, what of those was comfortable? What of those looks fun? What of those looks like, yeah, that's everything I want in my life. And yet... Even in that, he says, rejoice. We're not promised comfort in this life, but in faithfulness, we're promised joy. We're promised peace in the storm amidst the discomfort. But we have to learn to accept discomfort. If we're gonna be patient, we trust God. We accept the discomfort as it comes. Third, and finally, we celebrate God's gifts. Okay, we talked about this last week, so I don't want to spend too much time here. If you weren't with us last week, you can go back online and, and watch last week's sermon. But celebrate God's gift, right? We start with prayer. We ask for God to give us deeper faith. We learn to accept the discomfort that comes because we have a deeper faith, and then we can celebrate the gifts that God has given us. Even in the midst of discomfort, even in the midst of that waiting period where we don't want to wait anymore, where we think God should just give us what we want. He says, no, no, no. Just celebrate who I am and what I have done for you. Psalm 77 verse one through three says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and I will, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. You hear the trial here? You hear the pain, the suffering? But then you get down to verse 11 through 13. In the midst of all of this, it says, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like God. Right, this remembrance, this reflection on who God is, what he has done on, on, on his incredible gifts brings that joy, that hope, that peace, even in the trial. When we become impatient, we need to stop and remember all that God has already done. All that God has done in the world. Look outside the window. Look out that window over there. God did that. 
that amazing? There are a few things as beautiful as that. God did that. He does incredible things in this world and he does incredible things in our lives. When we're impatient, we need to stop, reflect on what he has done. Are we prepared in our lives to set aside immediate gratification? All the things we think we deserve, we think we should have right now, we want right now. Are we willing to set those aside and wait on God's blessings? We discern what is worthy of pursuit and we wait patiently on God's timing. In doing so, we find treasure in Christ. We find treasure in Christ. Look at verse 34. This passage finishes up. It says, Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. The story concludes with Esau taking Jacob's stew, this red stuff, and immediately regretting his decision. Not just regretting his decision. It says he despised the birthright. In the Hebrew language, this word to to despise means to treat as worthless, to hold in contempt, right? It's not just like he's like, oh, that stupid birthright, wish I still had it. No, he looks at it, he's like, that thing is pointless, it's useless, I hate it. I hate it and I hate my brother for having it. God's great blessing of the birthright was held as worthless next to Esau's hunger. And so Esau finds that in getting what he asked for, getting what he wanted, getting that immediate gratification, he realizes how foolish he is. He teaches us, he shows us that true treasure is found when we refuse to be satisfied by the lesser desires of our flesh. And we are satisfied only in our God. C.S. Lewis writes it this way, and I've always loved the way he, he says this. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. He says, we are far too easily pleased. I love that last line. We are far too easily pleased. Esau was far too easily pleased. That red stuff pleased him enough to give up the birthright. And for us, the treasures of this world will seem great for a moment. That's why we see them as treasures but they will always steal us away from a greater treasure of devoting ourselves fully to Jesus Christ. You see this happen in the Old Testament with Solomon. Right? In 1 Kings 11, Solomon, who's been the, the, the greatest king Israel's ever known, right? he, he made gold and silver as common as stones in the kingdom. He's delivered victories. He's, he's delivered wealth and fame that on a scale that we can't imagine. 
And then in chapter 11, verse one, it says, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's wife, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. And verse four says, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, his God, as his father, David, had been. Does it say Solomon turned away from the Lord altogether? No, Solomon continued to worship God, but not wholeheartedly. He worshiped other things in addition to God. He said, God is great, God is good. God has given us all this stuff, but this stuff's kind of nice too. It wasn't that he turned away from the Lord. It said he wasn't wholeheartedly devoted. I think that's, those are some of the most terrifying verses in all of scripture. Solomon loved the Lord, but he got distracted. And it led to the destruction of the kingdom of Israel, of it being ripped apart in the hands of his sons. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you see just how unsatisfying all those treasures that Solomon had gained through his life had become to him. The treasures of the world, as good as they look in the moment, pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. And there is nothing more satisfying, there is nothing more valuable, there is nothing more worthy of being treasured than Jesus. Because only Jesus left the throne of heaven to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect, sinless life, to sacrifice himself at the hands of mankind so that he could bleed and suffer and die and pay the penalty for your sin and my sin as he was nailed to the cross so that he could three days later rise, leaving the empty tomb by his crucifixion, declaring God's victory over sin and by his resurrection, declaring the victory over death so that you and I no longer have to fear either one as he delivers us from the brokenness of our humanity to the glory of the kingdom of our great father. Following Jesus and, and, and trusting his commands and his instructions or the commands and the instructions of scripture is, is never about adding weight to our lives or making it harder to enjoy ourselves. It's about knowing what truly satisfies, what truly brings joy against the weakness and the brokenness of our human flesh. If we want to grasp the lasting treasure of the joy, the hope, the peace, the love, the comfort, the enduring faith, and every other good treasure in this life, we must be satisfied in nothing but Jesus Christ. We must be satisfied in Christ above and before all else. Esau gave up his birthright to satiate his physical hunger. The hard question before you and me today is what spiritual blessing are you and I on the verge of giving up in order to feed a momentary and wholly unsatisfying desire of our flesh? Because the only treasure we find is the treasure in Christ. And so this leaves us with two options before us today. First, we can, trace, we can chase the treasures of the world Treasures of relationships and possessions and achievement and recognition and any one of a million other things. 
And while these things can be good, they're all fine and well, if properly ordered in our lives and accepted for what they really are, they are not the treasures that our hearts, our souls, and our lives long for and are satiated by. So we can chase the, the half treasures and, and, and failed hopes of the world, or we can chase the treasure that is of infinite value. We discern the, the commands, the instructions, the promises, and the gifts of our God. And we wait on his timing and his perfect provision so that we are led to the treasure of infinite value, the treasure of Jesus, love, grace, mercy, and restoration. Church family, may we be a people of true treasure. Let us set our pursuit of the things that, that cannot satisfy let us set them aside so that we can wholeheartedly dive into the treasure of knowing, loving, and serving Jesus Christ. And in doing so, may we celebrate salvation, redemption, and transformation from failed treasure hunters into children of the most high God and heirs to the fullness of the treasures of his kingdom. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you once again for who you are. We thank you for the gift and the truth of your word. We thank you that you have shown us who you are. You have shown us the brokenness of our, our natural inclinations. And you've shown us the goodness that you have offered us in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we might be redeemed, bought back, restored, not because of what we have done, not because of what we have to offer, but because of who you are. And Lord, we thank you that in that, you have, you have renewed us. You've made us a new creation ones that understand we no longer need the false treasures. We no longer need the false treasures of this world because we have been given the greatest treasure we could ever hope to find in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we praise you. And in your great and your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.